Hey fellow brain pickers and welcome to episode 108 of the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast show. Now this episode is slightly different because I'm on the other end of the mic. So here's the story. I recently appeared on Joshua Spodek's podcast show and he asked me some really, really tough questions that I've never been asked before. He dug deep, very deep. And I became very vulnerable and I shared things that I've never shared before, including the nicknames that my high school bullies called me. It was such a great conversation that I felt compelled to include this as an episode on my show. So here it is. Some of the things that we discussed were how I built my self-esteem from the ground up, why I never prepare for a speech or a show, why I don't think most things are a big deal, why I think that I'm very selfish even when I give, what I believe the difference between heaven and hell is, how to be comfortable in your own skin around anyone, and how I dealt with having an emotionally crippled father. Enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Thank you so much. Enjoy the show! Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, welcome to New York City. Yeah, I'm not in New York City, funny guy. I thought you said you were in New York. <laughs> not yet. I'm coming on Sunday. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> not welcome to New York. <laughs> yeah, not yet. You can give me the welcome when I come. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to meeting you in person at last. Go and put the video For on. sure. Oh, wait. So I'm going to put video. Okay, fine. We'll do it. I always do pre-video chat just because it's always good to see a face before we get on, uh, on a show. So I'm doing something that... I believe will take the podcast world by storm, and maybe you can help, which is that I record immediately, and you don't have to do this, but because uh, I don't want to, uh, what's the word, um, ambush you, but I find that the first couple of minutes are like the most interesting, and then after people say, okay, we're done, then people start talking natural again, and they get all stiff in between. Do you find that to be the case? I do, but with me, and I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I'm, I try to be real all the time. Uh, so you can hit record whenever you like. I'm not going to start putting on a script. I don't, I don't talk from a script. I don't have a – I have no idea, and I'm saying this completely honestly, I have absolutely no idea, Josh, what you're going to ask me. <laughs> uh -huh. I haven't got I, – no, I've got no idea what I'm going to talk about even. Like some people come up with an agenda right? I have no agenda. In fact, I'm speaking in New York, right? You know, I'm coming to New York um, this week, and I'm speaking in front of a thousand people. And I have you don't know what no you're going to say? No idea. No idea. My wife's freaking out. My wife's like, well, what do you mean? You could have... No, no. Whatever, whatever comes to me in that moment, then that's me being the most real I could be. So that's this it. is... This is actually what I wanted to talk to you about because my impression of you. Okay, so actually, I should are, we on? are we on? Are we? Oh are yeah, we yeah, on? we're on. We, we're on. This we're is. We're on. Okay, so are we switching off the video then? Uh, for better quality audio, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Let's so, do that. so, huh? so um, yeah, I call it the Spodek technique, which is to start it Im immediately. Mm -hmm. And then when we end, also we have to end so that people 
get to hear everything. So we'll stop the conversation. Like when we stop, we really stop. Oh, so you're not going to tell your guests what you're doing. You're just going to do it without them knowing? Well, in your case, when I mean, you and I, I think, I think it's safe to say we're friends. Yeah. So, yeah, with you, I just say we're on. Now, I give you the option if you wanted not to go on right, right away. You wouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. uh, I interviewed Dan Pink the other day, and with him, it was, he also agreed to do it. I said, you know, I give them the option, but okay. um, I think... You can get in a lot of trouble. You can get into some trouble if you just kind of like, hey, by the way, surprise, yeah. I recorded, you know. <laughs> so, now in your case, I, I was pretty confident you'd be like, oh, good, you no problem, and you, you just jumped right into it. And I think a lot of people, yeah. people who don't do podcasts, they don't realize how awesome the conversations are just before and just after. I, I, yes. like, I've been joking mm -hmm. that there should be a before, before and after the podcast podcast where people just take these things. And <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. That's, yeah. So That's hopefully funny. you'll start doing the Spodek technique too. So you're not doing an introduction? I don't get like a fancy schmancy introduction today? Hey everyone, you are listening to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. It's Joshua Spodek here with Daniel Geffen. How was that? Oh, that was lame. And I'll do, a, uh, I'll do a, an introduction. You know, I'll record a different introduction before that, which will be like the, right. you know, the, I don't know what you call it. There's a name for it, right? The intro or something. Yeah. Now, yeah. my impression of you from the outside is that you came out of nowhere and you just do a podcast that is like that people don't really do anymore, which is like now it's all like um, super produced, but you just mm. talk and it's very interesting and you just talk, like as you just said, and you came yeah. out of nowhere, and wh where are you ranked now? It's really high up. I think I'm in the top 50 on iTunes in the business category, um, and I was rated the top 26 by CIO Magazine for business podcasts, uh, which is cool, but uh, I just, I don't know. I, I kind of, you know what I posted on Facebook the other day? I said, it's... It's only a big deal until you've done it, and then it's not a big deal anymore. You know what I mean by that? Like, I don't mean having kids. Obviously, when you have – I've got four children, so it wasn't like child number two was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I had a child already. You know, <laughs> Obviously, it's a big deal every time, but most things – are not a big deal once you've done it. So, for example, you know, for me, one of, like, the biggest things was, like, getting featured in Forbes. It was, like, this this magical, like, oh, my God, I'm at, like, no, nah, I'm never going to get featured in Forbes. That's, like, too quick. And then, one day, I get a message from someone saying, hey, by the way, I just saw you featured in Forbes. And I'm, like, what? How the <laughs> hell did that even happen, right? It happens to be that somebody who interviewed me on their show was interviewed on Forbes and he mentioned me because I was one of his best guests he had on his show or whatever and he uh, basically mentioned my name and, and quoted me and whatever it was and so suddenly I mentioned in Forbes and I'm like dancing and I'm telling everybody look I'm mentioned in Forbes and you put it on your bio and it's all cool and then it's not a big deal <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's not a big deal it, you know it's like you do a podcast show and it's like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this I can't and then it's just you're doing a podcast show not a big deal it's like you write a book right oh my god it's such a big deal i'm gonna write a book i'm gonna publish a book and it's gonna be a bestseller right and then and you publish a book and it's like okay i've done that now yeah now, now i'm one of the deal. people who's done that yeah you're one of the people that i i'm still writing my book so for me it's a big well, deal I mean, right that's now the, like, weird, the way me, you feel with forbes say like yes. you're just like oh yeah i i have 
I had a blog post about this something recently similar, which is that I think that the bigger an achievement is, the more that it's the beginning, it's, it becomes just the beginning. So if I'm, if like I want to catch a bus and I run 20 yards to catch a bus, I get on the bus, cool, no big deal. If I run a marathon, then the moment I cross the finish line, it's like now I'm, this is the beginning of a new life that begins with having, being a marathon completer. Yeah. So a little achievement is like whatever, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But a big achievement is like it's just, it's just a starting point. And so the people who are the biggest achievers are constantly restarting over and over again. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. I, when I say it's not a big deal, I don't mean it's not a big deal that you did it. I think it is a big deal. If you've published a book, it's a big deal. If you've, you know, started your own, you know, whatever podcast show or you have, you know, achieved anything in life, it's they're big deals. But what I mean by it's not a big deal is that mentally it's not a big deal anymore. In other words, it's not the mountain isn't as big. It doesn't look as as you know unbelievable anymore. Like I, I can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like if you run a marathon. So then running a marathon is is now something that you've done, and it's something that you can do again. But for the first time before you've done it, it's just something in the distance. It's something like oh my god, I I can't. It's like unreachable. Like oh my goodness, right? That's what I mean by it's. It's not a big deal. Mentally, it's not a big deal. So how do you, you know? feel about your podcast? I mean, it's, you have amazing guests. You mm -hmm. have a great yeah. ranking. And it seems, I think it's, it, it seems from the outside effortless because you sound like you're just having fun with people. Right. Like, like I, just had a, I, I just had a billionaire on my show. It was the first time I've ever spoken to a billionaire. And I happened to have had an hour with this guy. And I was just talking with him like I'm talking with you and it's the weirdest thing it's actually quite <laughs> surreal do you know what I mean by that it's like it's a surreal thing it's like I'm just having this billionaire you know um, on my show and I'm just like chilling with him and then afterwards I'm like hey by the way Jeff uh, when you're in Israel like we should meet up and do dinner and it's like and he's like, sure, Daniel, yeah, I'm actually <laughs> going to be there in October, so let's hook up. And I'm just like, sure, Jeff, I'm just going <laughs> to hook up with a freaking billionaire. It's like crazy. But it's just not a big deal anymore because it's, because it's happening and it's happened. And once it's happened, it's just happened. You've done it, right? You've just done it. So you incorporate you know I mean this stuff really – you incorporate this stuff into yourself very quickly. It, it, it rings to me – the words that come to mind – for me, are genuine and authentic. Like, okay. it's just, it's like the you of a year ago or 10 years ago or even maybe five hours ago might have been like, that's amazing, that's incredible. But mm -hmm. the you of now is just like, that's life. You know, that's a part of life and that's yeah. a part of my life. And uh, I think a lot of people dream of being able to incorporate that stuff because it's, it's, it makes your life so full and rich as opposed mm -hmm. to stopping yourself all the time. Yeah, and, here, and just, to, just to get practical here, for those of you listening, right, the takeaway here is essentially look at all the things you've accomplished in your life, realize how they're not a big deal anymore, right? And then tell yourself that if there's anything that you're scared of right now of accomplishing, just realize that once you've done it, you've done it, and it's not going to be a big deal anymore. That's the practical side of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't don't let the fear get in your way of taking the action you need to take. 
because ultimately once you start taking the action the fear just dissipates and it's not there anymore so on a I mean, yeah i want to ask on a higher level okay so on an yeah. on a one time basis you'll feel fear and then you'll get over it once you act um yes and no i mean sometimes yeah, I, I guess sometimes the fear will be realized and you'll fall flat on your face and then but you you know you dust yourself off yeah I want to. What about on a on a larger scale? Like after you've done this five, ten times, and you you find that the fear doesn't get realized, or even if it doesn't get realized, it's not the worst thing in the yeah. world. In yeah. cases like then, over time, do you come to do you come to find that fear or anxiety as a sign that this is something you should do and makes it actually more attractive to do in the opposite, like the opposite of what it once was? Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that point. I've done now 107 episodes on my show, right? So you would think that if I've done 107 interviews, then I should just get on the interview and I shouldn't have any issue, right? I should just do it like I'm going to the bathroom, right? But I could tell you that every single time I'm about to get on with a guest, I have butterflies in my stomach. I need to take a piss. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. But the minute that we start talking, meaning once I've done the intro and we kind of start getting into the groove, I'm fine. I'm completely fine. I'm relaxed. I'm cool. But that five minutes just before we get on, I'm as nervous as anything. You- but it's crazy. It's illogical because I've done this 107 times and guess what? I haven't failed once, meaning I haven't messed up once, not once. I've, I, so, like, why would I mess up this time? Or what's going to go wrong? And worst case scenario is I can edit something out if I sound like an idiot. So what is wrong? I don't even know what the answer to that question is. Maybe it's just an adrenaline rush. You know, I, who knows? Maybe I. Maybe it's the perfectionist in me. That's probably more what it. What, what it. What I think it is 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 that this time I'm going to mess up, and I don't want to mess up with this guy because he, like, you know, this guy's a billionaire, and I, I don't want to mess up with the billionaire because he, you know I want him to really like me, or or oh this is Josh Spodek, like he's famous and he's got this whole, and I don't want to mess up with him, or oh it's this guy and I really respect him, and I don't want this one to be the one where I goof up, like. Maybe it's the perfectionist in me that everything needs to just be perfect, and so I'm nervous about it. I don't know. Well, I have a theory on this coming from evolutionary psychology. Uh, But first, do you know – I want to get to that in one second. Do you know who Bill Russell is? No. So Bill Russell was – he was a Boston Celtic in the the 60s, I think, and they won a lot of uh, NBA finals. And he's famous that he would throw up before almost every game. Uh-huh. And out of nervousness, and he was, he's, I think he has more championships than anyone in, in the NBA, mm-hmm. like arguably the best player of all time. And he would, th- and in fact, his teammates would get nervous if he didn't throw up because they thought maybe he's not really into this game as much. <laughs> That's good. And so like that. you're, you, you might not consider yourself at the Bill Russell level yet, but mm-hmm. even when you are, you'll be, if you still throw up just before every, every interview, you'll be yeah. par for the course. So I think that, yeah, you know, the, one of the first emotions when I, started, when I started getting into emotional awareness and understanding, like, the human emotional system, not that I'm that great at it, but I'm definitely farther <laughs> along than I was, I, I started, like, the difference between anxiety and fear is interesting because I think of fear is 
it's like a one, it's a very simple emotion. If a lion roars, you feel fear. It makes you want to run away. No one regrets feeling fear of, like, uh, if, if someone's chasing after you in the dark, you, you feel fear and you run away. It's like, that's clear. <laughs> now, anxiety, I think, is, is kind of a mix of fear plus enthusiasm or desire or excitement. So you feel anxiety. The big place where I felt it, the first time I really noticed it was when I wanted to go on stage. I, I, I did um, the class play in business school. And before I went on, I was... I both wanted to go on and didn't want to go on. It's not a one-way thing like I want to – there's no, no part of me that like wants to go toward a lion that's roaring at me. I just want to run away from it. So anxiety, I think that I'm, I'm scared of being in front of the crowd and messing up, but I also recognize that if I succeed, I'll be uh, – what's the word? Like looked up to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's that mix of feelings that you're talking about is – that anxiety is – and I think, I think it comes from – like we're genetic, like that we want to, we want to be part of a group because that makes it safer. So our ancestors out in, you know, in the African plains, humans, uh, we needed groups to stay alive because I don't think we're, you know, we're not big like elephants or we don't have fangs and claws and stuff like that. We're pretty, uh, not that great except that we have groups. So I think if you're doing something that could make you part of a group, you want to do it. But if you could fail and get kicked out of the group, it's very scary. You know what's interesting though you you really you actually touched upon something I don't know if you realized um when you mentioned about the guy Bill Russell right and you said that his teammates were were worried if he didn't throw up before the game because they were concerned that maybe he didn't care enough about it and that I think you hit something there is it comes down to if you care about something or not meaning that if I'm nervous or I'm if I'm excited or anxious about something what that means is that i care about whatever it is i'm about to do if i didn't care then i wouldn't have those feelings and so i think that that's something just to take mental note of is the next time you feel that fear or you feel that anxiety just tell yourself do you know what it's good i'm feeling this because it means i care about what i'm Mm. about to do I'm passionate about what I'm about to do. I'm passionate about the interviews I do. And because of that, that's why I feel that way before. If I didn't care, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel it. So you're, now you've given advice a couple times. I feel like this is your, part of what you do is to, is to help others. Like you're not just entertaining. I think that you feel like <laughs> there's, I don't know, I think you feel like um, you like to share and you like to, mm-hmm. you like other, you don't, I don't think, I think you're like, look, what I did, you could do too, and you should. And yeah. it, whatever's holding you back, that's not like don't like. Here's a way to get over that. I feel like that's a message mm-hmm. from you. Is that like a big part of you? Yeah, uh, I mean, why would you want to keep things to yourself? Like in my, I don't know. I just feel like. When you share something and you inspire other people and you impact other people, to me, there's no better feeling. Like, it's, I just get such a good feeling about it. You know, when I'm able to share something with someone and it changes their life in some small way, what better feeling is there than that? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, that's, to me, one of the big appeals, one of, uh, leadership to me is that. I mean, there's different element, there's different aspects of leadership, but the big part of it is helping others to achieve what they want, to find, 
to find what they consider meaningful and purposeful and help them mm-hmm. achieve that. And then, then they're grateful to you and they share more with you. And you, it, like the more that you help them achieve meaningful things, the more they share with you what's meaningful. And then the more you can help them, generally right. the more you then open up back to them and then they help you back. And yeah, I mean, it's, the truth is it's, it's selfish at the end of the day. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm selfless. I think I'm very selfish. I'm a very selfish person. It happens to be that when I help other people and then I get feedback from them saying, wow, Daniel, you really helped me. Do, that makes me feel good. And those feelings are selfish. They're self. I, I, I'm feeding my need or my desire to, to feel like, like I'm a somebody. Right. So in a way, by producing my podcast show and by writing my book and publishing my book and getting on episodes, you know, uh, podcasts like this and sharing my expertise, if you will, or my experience and whatever else, I'm just selfishly taking I'm, I'm feeling good about who I am. And when I get emails or messages from people going, oh, I listened to your show. You're such a great host. And they're just like rubbing my ego. And it's wonderful. <laughs> it, feels, it feels nice. <laughs> that, that's just, you know, of course, I go home. My wife uh, takes my ego back down a few notches. But, you know, and that's why you get married. So, <laughs> it, and then she brings me back up if I'm feeling down. So it works both ways. But you hear what I'm saying? Like, I don't look at myself as some big like wow you're so amazing selfless you know you really want to help everybody nah it's just me trying to take it's just me trying to feel good <laughs> that's all it is so what you're saying if i understand right is that marriage is about regression to the mean <laughs> oh you want to pull that out of me now do you uh marriage no, is I, also selfish i, I got that- married because yeah i got married because i wanted someone to love me and to and to I wanted someone to share I wanted to share my life with somebody and and to have a partner in life and and she was attractive that's another thing <laughs> yeah. and all you had to um, do was love her back and or love her first and then and then you got what you yeah, wanted yeah pretty much yeah so i it's funny i mean you're talking about selfishness and uh and i think you're 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 saying it in not the usual sense um mm-hmm. but i think also and i think i mean i take for granted that as a social species we benefit so much from helping others that we can, you know, we can take, I take, we can have faith in ourselves that if we do stuff to help ourselves in the service of others, it, it all works out. Mm-hmm. And it's if we miss some of what we are, if we think that it, the zero-sum part, then we start getting competitive. But I don't hear can in you... an analogy? Can I give you an analogy? Yeah. I really like this. Someone once said to me, the difference between heaven and hell... This is the difference between heaven and hell. Basically, we all go up, okay, and what happens is, is we each get long spoons, and we're sitting at a banquet. And imagine there's two rows of tables opposite each other, and you're sitting there, and you've got, you basically, each person gets this very, very long spoon. And in your plate, you've got food that, basically just keeps replenishing so you can eat as much as you want the only problem is is that the spoon is so long that when you try to feed yourself with it you can't it's impossible it's too long the spoon the spoon is too long to feed yourself with it and there's going to be two types of people the people who are selfish and people who are 
only think about themselves all the time. They will, they will sit there and forever try to feed themselves with, the, with that long spoon and they will never get fed and they will be hungry forever. That's hell. But the people, the people who are givers and care about other people will figure out that actually the reason why they have a long spoon is so that they could feed the person opposite them. And here's the cool thing. If you feed the person opposite you, then the person opposite you figures out that he needs to feed you. That's the purpose of his long spoon or her long spoon. And so you end up feeding each other. So heaven and hell is really just one place. It just depends on who you are, um, whether you get fed or not, or whether you starve forever. <laughs> or starve forever. Or learn, I guess you can learn along the way. How cool is that? I love that analogy. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing myself face down in my bowl, just <laughs> lapping it up. <laughs> no, no, no cheating. You, 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 you're stuck in an upright position. There's no, there's no way to do it. <laughs> so I, nice what I'm not hearing in your voice is any sign of insecurity. And that's what usually people, I think that's what motivates a lot of people to think, from, think of themselves first. And I don't hear that at all in you. You don't think I'm insecure? I don't hear it. I mean, maybe when I'm not around. Um, that's a good question. I'm very comfortable um, in this setting. I, like, I, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel very comfortable right now. Um, now, there are times when I'm not as comfortable. So, like, I might go into a, a networking event and there might be a lot of really, I don't know, cool people and, I don't know, celebrities and and there in that setting i might get insecure or whether that like it depends on the setting it depends in the context of where i am you know when you're at home you're always comfortable right you're always comfortable in your own home it doesn't matter who comes to your house like it's your house it's it's like it's your fault right it's when you go out of your comfort zone that you that I feel that you become insecure. So for me, maybe getting on stage in front of a thousand people, I might feel a little bit insecure for the first few minutes until I kind of get into that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and But right now, I don't feel insecure because I'm in my comfort zone. I like doing what I'm doing right now. Have you met David Barron, uh, Dove Barron, by the way? No. He also, I, when I spoke to him a, a week or two ago, he's got a podcast. So I'll introduce you guys. He talked about how when he, he was, he was dressed, he dresses his way. Like he wears earrings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. back in the day, uh, he was invited by a guy at a, a tailor or like someone who, in a fashion company, invited him to speak. And he was like, okay, should I look proper? And he goes, no, 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 just like that, and don't prepare anything. And so he didn't prepare anything. He came in, and he just went right off the cuff in front of all these people, dressed the opposite of how they would expect, yeah. and floored them. And then got invited to give another talk, and then decided, okay, I should really do it proper this time. And he like got his hair cut and all this stuff, and they like ruined it. And You know what? Let's go back. That, I'm really glad you brought this up. Let's go back to the beginning of this episode where you said that you wanted to do, uh, you wanted to just record from the beginning, right? Without yeah. any warning, you just wanted to have the pre-chat, right? You wanted to have that pre-chat. And you said that the reason why is because you found that, that the pre-chat was where the, the, the most quality content came out of and, and also the chat 
afterwards, like the post, the post the chat, right? The post yeah. uh, interview. Why is that? The reason yeah, why. Great question. Right. Well, it's exactly what we're talking about because when you see the record button on, you're now on show, and you know psychologically that people are watching you or people are listening to you, and that makes you uncomfortable for a bit. And because you're uncomfortable, you start to kind of just try to put on a show. And when you put on a show, you sound, mm, you don't sound yourself and you're not really being, yeah, you're not, yeah. Um, Now, after a certain amount of time, you kind of forget about the fact that people are listening or you forget about the fact that people are watching or you just get comfortable with the fact that they're watching you or listening to you. And so you revert back to yourself and usually that's why if you watch someone speak on stage they may start off a little bit sort of shaky or they may sound a little bit you know wooden but then as they get into the element you see them starting to drop their shoulders and get comfortable in their own skin and just be themselves and and that's you know that's when you start to really like enjoy what they're saying um so I like what you're saying about the fact that the pre-interview is, is and I think that's very true. Um, with me, the reason why my show is very natural is because I don't do script. I find script is it's so unauthentic and people don't, people could smell it a mile away. You can hear it. You can hear it in my voice when I'm trying to be someone I'm not, I'm not and, and when I'm trying to put on a show. You can, you can hear it, right? People are intuitive in that way. Um, so, like right now, I just feel like we're still in our pre-chat. I don't even, I'm not thinking about the fact that there are people listening to this. I'm just having a chat with, you know, with you and that's it. Yeah, and all right. one of the big things that I want out of the show is to make stuff like this accessible to people. Were you mm-hmm. always like this or did it come with practice? Did you work oh, at no. it? Hell to the no. <laughs> so what were you like Hell before, no. and how did, they, how did you change, and, and how can other people learn from that? Okay, so I was, when I was in high school, I was bullied. Um, and the, the reason I was bullied was it was, I guess it was, so it's interesting. I don't know if I was bullied because I was a class clown or whether I was a class clown because I was bullied. I actually, I've never really thought about that. Uh, but either way, I got made fun of, right? I, I had big goofy teeth sticking out a mile long and people called me Bugs Bunny and I had a big mole on my face on my cheek and it had hair growing out of it and so they called me spider face um, I actually froze it off after a, <laughs> after a, a couple of years of getting tormented um, and I was called lanky because I was extremely skinny and, and, and tall uh, for my age um, I was also kept down a year because they didn't have enough room in the year above and I was misbehaving so they kind of kept me down as a punishment whatever it was oh my and god so they people, did that for themselves at your expense yeah and oh. the worst part about it was that my younger brother was in the year below me and so when I stayed down a year I was essentially in the same year as my brother and so people would always taunt me and say hey are you twins are you are you and your brother twins and of course they knew the answer and I would say no I'm a year older and they're like oh so you must be really dumb Oh my God! This, yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm I cry. Yeah. So I was called dumb, goofy, you know, Bugs Bunny, Spider Face, 
you name it. I was just named lanky, all these things. And so I was alone. I was a loner. I felt like a loner. And nobody really wanted to be friends with the, the, the you know, the guy that everybody picked on. And so I kind of like, the way that I masked it was I would be a clown. So I would jump on tables and make jokes. And of course, I got into a lot of trouble. The teachers would, you know, kick me out of class. I'd get detention. I was always in the headmaster's office. Like there was just, <laughs> that's just how it was. And, and the reason why was because I, I wanted to put on a show because I, I wanted people to like me. Like, that's it. I just wanted people to like me. Mm. Um, and so that was my upbringing. Like, that, that was me growing up. And so, so much so that, yeah. You don't sound like, a, like you're clowning around now. Was it, did it evolve from clowning around and misbehaving into, I mean, this, that would seem to, like, deflect yourself, mm -hmm. deflect people from yeah. your internal self. But now I feel like you're sharing your internal self. Yeah, but that took a long time, Josh. I mean, that was like a, a whole process. Of, did you specifically um, work at it or it just kind of happened? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I read a lot of self-help books. Um, and getting married helped me as well. Just having uh, somebody who genuinely loves me for who I am. Um, having children also helped a lot. You know, when you have children, you realize that your children will always love you and look up to you, not for any other reason other than you're you, your daddy. And so, that is so powerful because, you know what I'm saying? Like you can have friends, Josh, who they could like you because you have money. They could like you because you're famous. They can like you because you're good looking. They could like you because you've got good connections. They can like you because whatever the reason is, you dress cool. But to find somebody who loves you just because you're you, that's, it's rare. It, it's, it's very rare. And that's why for me, like having a wife and having children, and I do have friends now that are, that love me for who I am. Um, it's allowed me to be able to love myself who I am and is it that if they love you for who you are then the less pretense you have the more you stop um, putting on airs the more love they will be able to feel and show mm -hmm. more selfishness yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah and is there yeah. you mentioned wife and kids and then <laughs> came the friends is is that the yeah. I, mean, I don't have a wife and kids. Am I, am I lost or are there other places where you can get it? I mean, I guess your yeah. own parents. You can get it from your parents. Uh, you can get it from your siblings. I mean, family is always the, the first place to go. <laughs> the low hanging fruit, right? Uh -huh. it's, it's, the, it's obvious. They can't get right? away from you. <laughs> they, right. And, and, they, and because they know who you are. You can't hide from your mother. You could do all the things, you could do all the shtick you want, you know, get a cover of Forbes magazine and you can do all this cool stuff and you could do a hundred million of those burpees and everybody thinks <laughs> you're cool. But your mom knows who you are. She, she wiped your, your backside, you know what I'm saying? Like she knows who you are. You can't escape from her. You, you, when you go home, there's no show anymore. You're just you. 
and that's that's it and 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 i feel like the more you can tap into that the more you can start to be you when you leave the house when you get up in the morning and you walk outside your door you can be you and whoever doesn't accept you for who you are screw them like, who cares? like sir like who cares I'm, I'm really glad you shared the part about where you came from because I think I think a lot of people would listen to you and say, well, of course, he's a natural. He was born this way. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah, natural. <laughs> or somehow it's, this stuff comes without, you know, oh, he has it. If I had it, I would be like that too, but I don't. Josh, you know my father. Um, oh, by the way, oh, sorry, uh, but that's how yeah. I felt for years. That's how, I mean, if no one else feels that way, I certainly felt that way about other people. I felt like when I was in college, I remember going to bars, and I thought – Everyone who was talking to each other all knew each other before they went to the bar because I didn't realize that you could meet people without someone <laughs> yeah. introducing you. I thought you, yeah. I thought the only way you could meet someone is have classes together and then it, you, you, you get forced to know each other and then you'd have fun together. And I was like, if only I took classes with more people in them, I'd know more people. Not <laughs> realizing like yeah. people are like in front of my eyes, they're meeting each other. I, it yeah. was like I was blind to it. Exactly. Yeah. So you were going to say something? Oh, my father. Yeah, I, I, I'd never had a conversation with my father in, in my life, though, growing up. I, I, I never had like a deep man-to-man, son-to-father, father-to-son conversation. Um, he was, I mean, he's still alive, um, but growing up, he was emotionally disabled. That's how I put it. He was emotionally disabled. Um, he came from a home where his mother drowned in a lake when he was 13 years old. And his father was a Holocaust survivor, the only survivor in his family. My, my grandfather was basically uh, pretty much of all of his siblings. He watched his parents get shot in the head. Ooh. He watched all of his siblings murdered. Uh, he was shot, actually, and buried alive. And pretending to be dead until the coast was clear and he was able to basically run away. Um, he went through hell. He, he went through absolute... W this generation, we don't know what, what real hell is on earth. And my grandfather went through it. And so my father, you can imagine, you can only imagine how my father came out. Right, having a father who was a Holocaust survivor, and having a mother who died at 13 uh, when he was 13 years old, so he was motherless and fatherless essentially. So he didn't know how to love. He didn't know how to be emotional, and he didn't know how to connect. And so I grew up with a disconnected father. Did you? How old were you when you put that together? Because I think you're speaking from a place of understanding him. I think a yes. lot of people come from a place of accusation or, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a while to get the backstory of your parents. Yes, um, from a young age, I think. I think it, I, I, probably when I was a teenager. Uh, my wife is always astonished because she knows my parents, right, obviously. And she, you know, my parents got divorced a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, they both have their own baggage, both my mother and my father. And... I've always been extremely understanding of them, respectful and loving. And my wife just couldn't understand. She's just like, I, I, I don't understand how, how you're able to do that. Um, 
Aren't, don't, don't you hate them like everyone else hates their parents? Is that... No. No, at all. No, I mean, is that her perspective? Is yeah. It, is she like, yes. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't understand. She, she, like, why are you not... Um, I feel sorry. I feel bad. I have empathy. I have empathy. My father grew up in, 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 in a home without a mother, and, and his father was a holocaust. Like, come on. Like, what, how, why would I expect anything more? But, you know, and, and more than that, Josh, I, uh, I decided at some point in my life, I decided that you've got to be the man. You've got to be the one to make the change happen because you'll wait forever and more if you think that you're going to expect other people to change for you. You've got to be the one to make that change. And so I got on the phone with my father as often as I could, and even if it was awkward, even if it was weird, I would get on the phone and I would talk to him, and I would say, how are you doing? And it would be short and very, like, you know, cold, but I kept it going. And one day, I opened up to him. He was telling me about money and how, you know, he just wants to leave, you know, money behind for his children, and he wants to do this. And I said, Dad, Dad, stop. Stop. I want to tell you something, okay? I know, I know that you want to give me everything. And I know that growing up, you bought me things, and any time I needed anything, you always gave me it, gave me it. But I want to tell you that I don't want anything from you. I just want one thing. And you, you will make my world if you can do this one thing. I want you, out of the blue, to call me up just once in my life just to tell me that you love me. That's all I want. I don't want any money. I don't want anything. And he said to me, you know that I can't do that. It's too difficult. I don't know how to do that. And I said, you know what? I believe in you. I believe that you can. And that's it. And we hung up the phone. And two days later, I'm playing tennis, and I get a phone call, and it's my dad. Now, my dad, the only time he's ever called me in my life was if there was an emergency. Either, 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 either someone died, or something really, really bad happened, or maybe someone got married. Uh, hopefully someone got married. So I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking, when I see him calling me, I'm thinking, first thing I'm thinking is, oh my God, oh my God, I hope everything's okay. So and you I'm forgot, I mean, right now we just heard yeah. you say it two, two yes. days before, but no, that was I, out of your head, right? Completely out of my head. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, is everything okay? And he goes, I love you. And I almost dropped the phone. I literally, like, uh, my, I, it would, I can't, I can't, I cannot describe how I felt. I really can't. Like, money, all the money in the world couldn't buy that moment. And, you know, I did that. I encouraged him and I, and I, inspired him to do that because yeah people complain all the time and they blame and they look at everybody else and they go why can't they do and why can't stop it just just 
just you be the person to change. You be the person to do. Inspire people. Encourage people. Don't demand. Don't wait for them. Don't expect. Just be there for them. Open up. You know, like my whole book that I'm writing, the reason I'm writing my book, it's called The Self-Help Addict, was because for a, a huge chunk of my life, I was a self-help addict. I was addicted to self-help because I wanted that secret key. I wanted that secret source, that magical pill, just give it to me. It's not out there. No one's going to help you. Nobody's got that key. They don't, it doesn't exist. You have it. It's in you. It's in, it's, you need to get out there and be the person that you want to be. You need to be the person that goes out and produces. Stop consuming. Stop trying to, to find something. And that's what my book is all about. I'm producing a book because I want people to produce. I want people to take responsibility for their own lives. Stop fantasizing and, and, and looking at Tony Robbins and going, ooh, stop drooling at Tony Robbins for crying out loud. He's a wonderful guy. But guess what? So are you. And you know the only reason that he's on stage and you're standing in the audience or sitting in the audience, the reason why you've flown halfway across the world and paid God knows what for a ticket to listen to him, you know the only reason why that is? It's because he's on stage and you're not and you bought the bloody ticket. But, it could, but you could be the one on stage. And guess what? Tony Robbins could buy the bloody ticket. Because you have it in you too. There's nothing special about him. We've all got the same stuff. You just be you. And people will love you for that. And that's it. Whew. Oh, man. It really got to me there. Um, <laughs> well, I, for everyone listening, I think I can speak for all of them that thank you for sharing and uh, for making yourself available like that. I think now we know why your show is doing so well. And why we all, when does, how soon does the book come out? Oh, man, ah, that, that's a tough question. I really hope it comes out within the next two months. I'm really pushing for it. Um, I've written 35,000 words so far. Um, and I just need to, A, I need to beat the perfectionist out of me. That's number one. And B, I just need to kind of like just organize everything and edit it and then put a front cover on it and that's it. I like so it. I hope All you have to do is just edit. Okay, so it's going to be like it's six months. <laughs> no, I really hope not. I, and so, I really hope not. So people who hear this, I, I think even better, I tell me if this is, if you agree with this, that even better than hearing you and getting your story is that they will be able to have their story of their father, you know, whatever it is in their life. Yeah. And they... I mean, your goal, and I, I would expect that what the book is going to give is for people to do that themselves. Not to be, like, you might be an access point, but it's ultimately it's, it's for, them to, to, for them to feed the other person with the, with the, the biggest book. The biggest reward you can give me if you, when you read my book is to write me an email afterwards saying that you're writing your own book. That, that's the biggest, because that, then I'll know I've done my job. I don't want people to read my book if they're just going to get inspired and then two, day, two days later they go back to the same thing. Like, they're not, yeah, then that's I'm not, just that's another, not inspiration. That's yeah, the that's, feeling right, of inspiration. 
Correct. Then I'm just another self-help guru, and then I'm just like one of them, and that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to listen to this one several times. <laughs> yeah, please send me the, uh, the, the raw copy. I'm going to use it. Hey, fellow brain pickers, I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please do me a massive, fat, humongous favor. If you're listening to this on iTunes, which I know most of you are, please hit the subscribe button. When you hit that subscribe button, what you're doing is essentially you're doing two things. One is you're helping me rank higher in iTunes, which means that more people get to listen to the show. And two, it means that you can get updated every time I come up with a new episode. So please hit that subscribe button. And also, if you haven't already, uh, go to theselfhelpaddict.com. That's theselfhelpaddict.com um, to order a copy of my upcoming book, The Self-Help Addict. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. And until next time, I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.